KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. It's Kinsey Moreland filling in for Annika Colbert. It is Tuesday, March 9th. The impact of the pandemic on our urban Native American community. That story soon, but first, the headlines. California Governor Gavin Newsom will give his annual State of the State address tonight. The coronavirus pandemic will likely take center stage, but Newsom has said that he plans to focus less on policy initiatives and more on what he calls the quiet heroes of the pandemic. People like farm workers, children, women, and other caregivers. His annual address also comes as signature gathering for a recall election nears its deadline. Backers say it's only weeks away from qualifying for the ballot. You can hear Governor Newsom's State of the State address tonight beginning at 6 p.m. on KPBS Radio. So 2020 wasn't all bad. San Diego police are touting crime decreases last year. Yesterday, police reported that the city of San Diego enjoyed an 8.4% reduction in overall crime in 2020. There was a minor uptick in violent offenses, but again, it is good news overall. And some more good news. Jeez, I sort of feel like Santa or something here. San Diego County remains in the most restrictive purple tier as of yesterday, but just barely. San Diego County public health officials reported just 307 new COVID-19 infections on Monday. The county is awaiting state data scheduled to be out later today, which could soon promote us to the less restrictive red tier, which means, among other things, spectators at the Padres opening day. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. The pandemic has hit Native American communities especially hard, not just with illness, but with a loss of elders and traditions. KPBS's Maya Trabolsi recently visited a local health center that serves the local urban Native American community to find out more. Reuben Leva pours kernels of dried corn from a small pouch. It's an offering to honor the land at the San Diego American Indian Health Center, turning in each direction for the four phases of life from children to elders. Danzo, that means hello uh, in the Apache language. I am a Chiricahua. Apache. He's a member of the board of directors at this clinic in Bankers Hill. And I stand here honored and humble to speak to you on Kumeyaay land. Started in 1979, the clinic provides a hub of services for patients that are made up of 33 percent Native Americans. Leva says the clinic represents so much more than that for the urban indigenous community. The urban community uh, is different than the tribal community because many of us here in the urban areas may not be traditional to these lands. And so we rely on places like San Diego American Indian Health Center to establish 
networks of support within the community. In order to understand how COVID-19 has impacted Native Americans, Leva offers some historical context. Dating back to 1519, when Hernan Cortez entered the Americas, he came across Montezuma and the Aztecs. And from that point forward, we've been battling diseases. He says Native Americans born into historical trauma want to acknowledge the harm committed against them, but can use the struggles of the past to turn into positive outcomes, including the fight against the latest pandemic. I'm a little choked up about it. Ronnie Whitehorse is an RN here and a member of the Navajo Nation in Arizona, which has been hit hard by the pandemic. But we can't go back, you know, without endangering a lot of people. She shares real concerns of members on the reservations because of lack of supplies or medicine. So having this vaccine here and the ability to give it out is really, really huge for us. But even with the availability of the vaccine, Whitehorse faces resistance when calling on patients to come in for their shots. We don't have a good historical history with the government. So that's the basis of a lot of our mistrust. I can imagine how people would say, now wait a minute here. Health Center CEO Kevin LaChapelle says the organization is built around the patient with Native Americans serving Native Americans, which helps build trust. Another beautiful day to be indigenous on Turtle Island. The clinic uses social media to engage urban members with classes and cultural activities. A cloth um, type of moccasin is really easy. When it comes to vaccination hesitancy, La Chapelle says patience is paramount, but social media has helped on that front too. So one of the things we did to counter it, which was really amazing, is some of our board members um, that our elders, uh, they said, you know what, when I get mine, I'm happy to do it on video and give a message and show that I'm doing this because I believe that we have to protect each other. That helped a lot. One of those elders is Randy Edmonds. I'm from the Kiowa and Kettle Nations of Oklahoma. Edmonds received both COVID-19 vaccinations, his visits documented and posted on Facebook to encourage the community to follow suit. So they could, uh, understand that this elder would like to continue living and uh, wants to take the shot to make sure that that happens. A survivor of the residential program and later relocated to California by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. In history, we have been lied to. We have been disenfranchised. By that, we begin to lose traditions. We begin to lose our language, begin to lose our history. Losing history is something this tight-knit community faces again, this time as a side effect of the pandemic. Edmonds, a celebrated gourd dancer, sits beneath a colorful mural created of his image in traditional regalia, a reminder of the pre-pandemic days of singing, dancing, and socializing at powwows. And that's uh, how we stay together as Indian people. We don't have a community like the African-Americans do, the Hispanics, the Asians, you know, they all have their little communities where they live. Indians don't have that. We, um, we're scattered all over San Diego. And while social media has helped to keep the community connected with traditions, the pandemic still impedes the conveying of important generational knowledge. Ruben Leva says some objects and ceremonies are too private or sacred to be photographed, filmed, or shared online. We don't have a tremendous documented written explanation of our customs and culture. Those are delivered and have been uh, since time immemorial. 
verbally and in person. And like all challenges of the past, you know, I miss seeing him. That the urban it's native not, community not. has endured and overcome. It feel right. During this pandemic, it's the time spent apart that hurts the most. And that story from KPBS Evening Edition anchor Maya Tripolsi. Can fully vaccinated people take off their masks or go back to normal? You've probably heard the news by now. CDC officials say yes, sort of. For the first time ever on Monday, officials have laid out a list of safe activities for those who've had their shots. For example, they can visit with other fully vaccinated people in small groups without masks, even indoors. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman explains. Fully vaccinated people can visit with other fully vaccinated people in small gatherings indoors without wearing masks or physical distancing. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says fully vaccinated people can also be around those who have not gotten any doses and are healthy, but recommends limiting exposure to just one household. For example, if grandparents have been vaccinated, they can visit their daughter and her family even if they have not been vaccinated. But the CDC is still recommending avoiding air and other travel, hoping that people stay local. Every time that there's a surge in travel, we have a surge in cases in this country. In San Diego County, now more than a million doses of vaccine have been distributed. County-sponsored super stations like this one in Chula Vista can deliver well over 3,000 doses per day if you can find an appointment ahead of time. Uh, it was easier than a month ago. It's hard now. It's very hard. I cannot get an appointment for my wife yet. Moises Garcia got his second dose today and says the CDC's new guidance is good news. I think we should have masks, listen to everybody's vaccinated. Then from there, maybe you can start thinking about uh, hanging out with no mask. But with families, I I believe it's okay. Others getting their second doses, like Elizabeth Tidegui, are excited about the idea of getting close to loved ones again. I have kids, I have grandkids, and, you know, I want to be protected, and I want to protect them as well. Despite this new guidance for small private gatherings for those who are vaccinated, officials are still asking people to avoid medium and large group both outside and indoors. And they're asking people to keep wearing masks and distancing in public. Well, you don't want to get stupid about it. I, I, I would still wear a mask. Uh, around people I didn't know if I go grocery shopping or at least to a restaurant. CDC officials say the new guidelines are just a first step and will change as virus transmission rates are lowered and more of the population becomes vaccinated. But I think it is positive and again it's another encouraging step uh, as, as we work our way out of this. Operations like indoor dining are still not allowed in San Diego County but with daily cases declining that could soon be changing. School districts in the South Bay are taking steps toward reopening for in-person instruction. But the state has stalled plans by districts in the North County for reopening middle and high schools. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong has details. Sweetwater Union High School District trustees are voting tonight on a reopening plan that would allow 10% of students to return under certain criteria. The plan is the result of weeks of negotiations between the district and the teachers union. Julie Walker is the president of the teachers union. Children who are special ed, children who are from low-income homes, um, and students who are language learners. Those are our big threes. Um, And they will get first... 
availability for any open slots that are there. We will offer it to all of them. The district zip codes have been some of the hardest hit by the pandemic in San Diego County. Their case rates have been higher both because of crowded living conditions and the concentration of essential workers living in these communities. Sweetwater Union High's plan requires that San Diego County is in the red tier or lower. The district zip codes have an average 14-day case rate of less than 200, and the zip codes have a positivity rate of less than 8% for 14 consecutive days. I'm hoping our spring break goes well and that we don't get a lot of community spread. Uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that our zip codes are catching up to the county average. Chula Vista Elementary School District also announced last week that it's preparing for partial in-person instruction after April 5th. Meanwhile, state officials delivered some bad news to school districts in the North County late Sunday when they denied requests to bring more middle and high school students back to campuses. Marianne Kim Phelps is the superintendent at Poway Unified. It feels like that the state has no interest in reopening all schools, rather just elementary schools. We have our elementary schools open, but how do we... The question is, how do we reopen all of our secondary schools and get our secondary kids back into our schools? Powell Unified, San Diego Union High, and Carlsbad Unified School Districts were told by the state that they would not be able to bring back students unless they can keep cohorts of students together with the same teacher for the entire school day. I mean, there's not any one group of 15 kids that have the exact same course schedule with all the same teachers. All of Powell Unified's elementary schools are currently open for half-day instruction. Kim Phelps said despite the setback, she remains optimistic that the county will soon enter the red tier and the district can move forward with reopening middle in high schools. So we've all heard this talk about, quote, defunding the police. But recent policy changes around policing involve finding new systems to deal with emergencies that police shouldn't have to deal with. Now, a pilot program will be expanding countywide in San Diego to improve response to calls about mental health emergencies. Supervisor Nathan Fletcher explains they're calling it the Mobile Crisis Response Team. But the team and the pilot are basically a mental health clinician, a case management, and a trained peer support specialist. And when called, the Mobile Crisis Response Team uh, goes to that individual needing care, and the teams are trained. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. The Mobile Crisis Response Team program is aimed at connecting people experiencing a mental health crisis with a behavioral health expert. Supervisor Nathan Fletcher says the pilot program that launched in North County in January is having positive results. In a lot of these instances where an individual is not a danger to themselves or anyone else, in those instances it should be clinicians, not cops, uh, who should be responding to the calls for help when it relates to mental health uh, or substance use disorder. Fletcher said the response team is trained to get the correct help to a person having a psychiatric crisis. Response teams are currently being deployed via the Access and Crisis Line, but the goal is to integrate the program into the 911 system. Fletcher hopes to have the program launch countywide by midsummer. Early voting is now underway in a special election in the 79th Assembly District. KPBS reporter Max Rilvin-Nadler tells us special pandemic voting rules are still in effect. The 79th Assembly District is now vacant after Dr. Shirley Weber became the state's new Secretary of State. A month of early voting began Monday in the primary election to replace her, with five candidates, four Democrats and one Republican, vying for the position. Cynthia Paz, the county's interim registrar of voters, says that emergency rules put in place by the state legislature last year are still in effect for 2021. 
still because of the pandemic, we are mailing a ballot to every voter. People can drop off their ballots or vote early at the Registrar of Voters in Kearney Mesa, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. They can also vote on Election Day, April 6th. Coming up, wildfires and the air pollution they leave in their wake. That story after a quick break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Last year, raging wildfires, especially in Northern California, caused weeks of dangerous air pollution. Now, researchers at Scripps have found that smoke from wildfires is not just bad for your health, but potentially worse for your health than other forms of air pollution. Their study finds that tiny particulate matter in the wildfire smoke can be more damaging to the respiratory system than similar matter from factories and car exhaust. The authors say the findings may change how air quality is measured and how health warnings are issued during wildfires. Tom Coringham, a postdoctoral research economist at Scripps Institution of Oceanography and a co-author of the recent report, joined KPBS Midday Edition's Maureen Cavanaugh to discuss the findings. Can you start off by reminding us just what particulate matter is, like its size, and why it causes damage? Sure, there are, there are several kinds of uh, fine particulate matter. What we studied in this uh, work was PM2.5, or particulate matter that is smaller than 2.5 microns in diameter. Uh, to give you a sense of what that is like, it's about 1 20th uh, the width of a human hair. Uh, it's important because uh, our body has natural defenses against larger particles, but when they get that small, they can actually get into the lungs and, and pass into the body. What did researchers look at to determine the health impact of particulates in wildfire smoke? So in this study, we, uh, we took 14 years of data where we looked at wildfire occurrence and uh, levels of PM2.5, and then we linked that to hospital admissions for respiratory conditions. And we found that, well, we were able to separate out the wildfire particulate matter from other forms of particulate matter, and we found that a 10-unit increase in um, non-wildfire-related uh, particulate matter led to a 1% increase in hospitalizations, whereas the wildfire particulate matter unit for unit led to a 10% increase. So there was, there was a substantial difference um, between the two forms of, of air pollution. And what kind of respiratory problems do these particulates cause? Uh, it's a variety of, uh, of uh, respiratory complaints. The main ones we focused on were upper respiratory tract infections, asthma, and COPD. But uh, the, these particles have been implicated in a lot of different health conditions beyond just the respiratory 
uh, impacts. Uh, they uh, have been shown to increase cardiovascular problems, um, among other things. Why are the PM2.5 particulates found in wildfire smoke worse than the same tiny particles in other kinds of emissions? Uh, so it's it's still uh, still something of an open question. There is evidence in the toxicology literature that there are certain compounds in uh, in burning organic matter that aren't present in other forms of particulate matter, and uh, I should say. Um, you know there are are things out there that are worse than than wildfire smoke. So diesel soot, for example, is is quite harmful, and certain pollutants that come from industrial plants. But um, what we found in this study is that uh, you know over our domain and time period, uh, the the wildfire smoke was was more harmful in terms of uh, causing hospital admissions than, than the other sources of pollution. About how close to a wildfire do you have to be to be at risk from the potential health effects from the smoke? There's still there's work ongoing to answer answer that question, but it does seem like uh, clearly the effects are are uh, more pronounced when you're uh, closer to the fire. But uh, we have seen in in more recent work that um, even smoke from as far away as Northern California seems to uh, result in an uptick in, in hospital admissions. So when you think about the fires of 2020, looking at the satellite images, there's just the whole West Coast was blanketed in smoke and uh, smoke was uh, seen as far east as, as, uh, as the East Coast. So um, I think certainly for the West, um, any of these large fires can have potential health impacts. Does this possibly mean that when we're finally able to take off our COVID masks that we may be advised to wear masks during wildfire season? Well, certainly, I think the main thing that people can do to protect themselves is uh, stay inside if possible uh, during these heavy smoke conditions and definitely avoid any kind of strenuous outdoor activity. And if you're able to stay inside, uh, it may be worth investing uh, in uh, improved air filtration system for your home or, or buy a portable purifier. So those are the types of things that people can do ahead of the fire season and during the fire season to protect themselves. Your findings, of course, have a particular significance considering what we know about climate change and its effects on wildfires, because we're likely to be seeing more wildfires. Isn't that right? That's right. With uh, the change in climate, we're seeing hotter and drier conditions across the western United States. And this leads to uh, more frequent and more intense wildfires of larger area. So it's definitely something that we need to be thinking about uh, as, we, as we move forward. And we've actually done very well with reducing pollution from other sources, but clearly the, the wildfires are, are not something that you can regulate. So it's something that we need to uh, take seriously. And the study seems to suggest that our air quality standards need to be updated to reflect the extra health risk associated with wildfire smoke. How, how should they be updated? I think there's certainly a, a possibility here for changing the thresholds, for example, of the air quality index that's uh, put out by the EPA um, to reflect the, the source of the pollution. Um, another option would be simply to to add a flag to the to the warnings, uh, alerting people to the fact that this air pollution is due to 
wildfire and should perhaps be taken more seriously. And that was Tom Coringham, a postdoctoral research economist at Scripps Institution of Oceanography, talking with KPBS Midday Edition's Maureen Cavanaugh. You can find more interviews just like that one by finding KPBS Midday in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And rain is on its way, possibly tonight and into Wednesday and Thursday. So scarf up San Diego. That is all for the podcast. Thanks as always for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.